0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good
1: day and welcome to IAQ
0: Radio Plus. This week is
1: episode number 553. Joining us live from the Florida, the site of the AOB Town Hall held last night. Uh, We've got the Restoration Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, who's going to be our co host today. And our guests are Harvey Cohen, Peter Crosa, John Lapotere, David Popper. And we're hoping Justin Peterson of David Popper's uh, law firm will also be joining us as well. Check out our Facebook page, our YouTube. uh, Give us a like. Uh, You can also download our podcast and link to our YouTube videos. And you can also get continuing education credits right on the iaqradio.com. Website. Before we get
0: started, let's thank our platinum sponsor. IAQ Radio platinum sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at JohnDon.com. That's J-O-N D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors:
1: Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. Okay, the Z-Man's on the road this week, so I'm going to handle the trivia question. First, we want to, uh, it was a close one last week. They had to look at the timestamp on the emails, and Vic Cafero. Of uh, Virginia was the first to name Mr. Yuck as the trademarked uh, image created by the UPMC Children's Hospital in 1971, widely employed in the U.S. in the labeling of substances that are poison if ingested. This week's IAQ radio tribute question, Friday, July 12th, 2019, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal surface cleaning, and decontamination problem. Today's trivia question is, who was Florida's first director of the Office of regulation, of Insurance Regulation? So the first director of the Office of Insurance Regulation. All right, so our guests today are Harvey Cohen Esquire, the founding partner of Orlando-based Cohen Law Group, Orlando-based attorney David Popper, who specializes in contract law, environmental consultant and expert witness John Lapoterre friend of the show and Peter Crosa the former president of the NAIA the Trade Association for the Independent Insurance Adjusters also joining us will be Justin Peterson of the uh, David Poppers law firm in Orlando before we get started let's well let's let's turn it over to my co-host for today uh, Pete Consigli the restoration global watchdog Pete why don't you give the listeners a little feedback on what happened last night?
0: Yeah.
2: Thanks, Joe. Uh, hello, everybody. So, listen, last night we uh, we held a town hall meeting in uh, Deerfield Beach, Florida. Those of you that are not familiar with South Florida, that's right off the Interstate 95, about halfway between um, Fort Lauderdale Airport and the West Palm Beach Airport. Um we had a crowd, I don't know, I want to say maybe 60, 70 people or so, plus, uh, plus the vendors that supported it. We had uh, Sunbelt at a table, uh, Jay, Jay Stake, uh, the president of IUQA, drove down from North Carolina, shared some information. You know, their convention next year is going to be in West Palm Beach um, in February. So it's basically right here in South Florida. Um, and we had uh, John Capone uh, with the uh, business development, um, associates, uh, at a table here, networking, you know, with the different attendees in the area. And of course the, the whole event was, uh, co uh, co hosted by the Cohen law group. And, uh, one of the, the sponsors for, uh, the show that uh, was mentioned in the opening credits, uh, Ron Mazur of the, uh, AML link, uh, Inc, uh, micro microbiology laboratories. So, um, you know, some of the attorneys, uh, from harvey's group were down here and um was a very lively discussion we had the four the guests today uh two of them uh harvey and john were there live on site and then uh, we had a call in for uh mr Kroos and mr popper and uh and justin uh was was in the office uh, with david and um they weighed in so each each of them weighed in on uh The whole issue of the AOB and, um, you know, the legislation that just was enacted and where we go with it all now, they all had their different perspectives, uh, two different legal perspectives, the indoor environmental professional perspective, and then, of course, the perspective from the insurance adjuster. So it was lively. We had uh, several questions, a lot of handwritten questions. We had some interaction with the audience uh, when we kind of moved to the open mic, and uh, everybody seemed to enjoy it. Um, You know, we uh, had some nice hors d'oeuvres, and people did a lot of networking. And uh, anyway, so today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of cover the proceedings, the high points. You know, my uh, Joseph, you're going to do all the heavy lifting and the questions, the interviewing, I'll kind of come in around to to the roundup and I'll, you know, I'm going to spend my time taking a little notes. I guess uh, part of the duty is taking over for Cliff is to have to do the blog. So I got to take, I always watch when I'm watching Cliff, he's always taking notes and writing down. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing so anyway, with that, Joe, I'll, I'll turn it back to you and uh, go ahead and kick off the show. Anyway, I appreciate that. It looks like we got 20-plus callers in. Um, I appreciate you all calling in today. Uh, I hope the information you find out is uh, is useful for you. Thank you. All
1: right. Thanks, Pete. Let's, let's go around the horn, gentlemen. Um, I'd like to get a little opening thoughts from each of you on the town hall last night, what your perspective was, what the – you know, what, what your um, – what your thoughts were, but, but more importantly, what what your contribution was. Let's start with Harvey. Um, you were uh, one your your law firm was one of the sponsors of the event. Um, Harvey, tell us a little bit about, you know, why you did this and um, what's going on with the AOB. Is it dead or is it still uh, somewhat alive?
3: Well, there. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. OK, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't still on mute. Hi, everybody. Yeah, no, I thought the the meeting went very well. We had some great questions from the audience. Uh, Really, the purpose behind the whole meeting was uh, to educate uh, contractors so that they can understand and make their own decisions about if they want to use the new AOB law or not, or what are some other alternatives to the assignment of benefits if they don't want to use this new AOB law. And um, you it worked out great. The panel was great. I think everybody really added uh, a lot to to really help people. The feedback I got from uh, the attendees was uh, you know basically that that it was very helpful, and they were thankful that we all came out and put on the presentation.
1: All right let's you know harvey I'm, I'd like to follow up maybe I'll, I'll do it a little bit later, but I want to get your thoughts on how many contractors or maybe let, let's do it right now and then and then we'll bring in David on this how many contractors in in Florida the restoration contractors there's got to be thousands of restoration contractors and and i guess uh, I'm curious how many really have been taking advantage of using that AOB uh, as you know and having i guess the homeowner sign over their, you know, the assignment of benefits to them. Is that a a common thing in Florida? I know it's not real common here in Pennsylvania.
3: Yeah, it's very common here. I don't know the exact numbers or the statistics or percentages, but I do know that, uh, you know, many, 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 many contractors use the assignment. Uh, you know, the homeowners that we represent for hurricane claims, et cetera, are, uh, support the use of the assignment of benefits. It helps them because they can essentially allow the contractor to bill their insurance company directly, just like a doctor does. When you go in for a doctor visit and you sign the paperwork for the assignment of benefits, it's the same thing. And then the doctor bills the the uh, insurance company directly. This The assignment of benefits for contractors works the exact same way. They do the work and they send in the bill themselves and deal and negotiate directly with the insurance company.
1: And let's, let's go over to David. Um, David, I guess- Hey Joe,
2: uh, hey go Joe before you do that, I, I, I could answer part of that question they asked Harvey about the numbers. The database in Florida, based on the Department of Regulations for mold, licensed mold assessors and remediators, and remember now, most of these remediators fall into that contracting category, it's somewhere between eighteen and twenty thousand. It's a, it's a pretty large number, so that's, that's at least
1: a frame of reference. Okay, well, thank you, um, David. Let's let's take it over to you for a moment. The the AOB uh, situation. I uh, first, let's give us your thoughts on on you know your discussion and, and talking with some of the contractors last night and 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 what their uh, what their questions were.
4: Uh, there's a lot of confusion out there, but frankly, I don't. Think this is the end of the world at all? Um, we're going to have a contract where people sign, and the homeowner is going to be responsible for it. But if you have a relationship with the homeowner, he's going to he's going to get the homeowner to sign up with Harvey anyway, and and Harvey's going to be able to pursue the insurance company with the homeowner anyway, and and they're going to be able to get a letter of protection, which means that the the uh, contractor will not be in as exactly the same position, but not far off. I think it's going to make contractors have to have a better relationship with their uh, customers. This is always a good thing. Our communication matters. The only problems I really see when I've litigated these things is, is that uh, a contractor may not communicate for a couple weeks for good, very good reasons, but the homeowner is, doesn't know what's going on and gets nervous. So it's going, to, it's going to require more hand-holding by the contractors. But if you keep that good relationship, um, they're going to hire Harvey. Harvey's going to be able to get the insurance proceeds. And I don't think there'll be much slip between the cup and the lip, if you will, um, If it does fall apart, you have a solid contract against the homeowner. You've got lien rights. And more importantly, you have contract rights, too. So the, the contractors can be well protected. And and yeah, it's a little, it's a little more trouble. Uh, but it's not the end of the world.
1: Let me follow up on that, David. As I understand it, it's not so much the AOB is still alive; it's the fee shifting part of it that's yeah. not alive. Could you explain to listeners what that fee shifting is? And then, yeah, if you know, if Harvey knows, is that a Florida specific thing? Was that just Florida, or is that also available in other states?
3: Well, well there's uh, what what makes it so powerful in Florida is we have what's called a fee shifting statute down here, which means that. If you have a dispute with your own insurance company and you're forced to hire an attorney to represent you, then uh, if you win, then the insurance company has to pay all of your attorney's fees and costs. So the same thing goes with the assignment of benefits. If you have an assignment, then you can essentially have an attorney represent you and they only get paid if they win the case against the insurance company.
1: Okay, Um, David, did you want to add anything there? And and also, do you know if it's um, if there are similar laws around the other
4: states in the country? Well, most states have two-way streets. It used to be with with the with the prior law, it was a one-way street. Contractors could sue if they lose, no harm done. If they win, they get their fees uh, paid for them. Now, if you uh, if you don't prevail, and I'm going to have Justin give you the exact percentages. You might owe the insurance company's attorneys' fees, so it makes you take great pause in making sure that the claim you make is is um, well able to be proven in court, so that you can so that you can prevail, get your fees, and and get the homeowner satisfied and get you paid. Justin, would you give us the percentages? Justin Peterman,
1: Peterson, I'm sorry. My son. Oh, we don't seem to, we don't seem to have Justin on.
4: Uh, I, I, I yeah,
1: come over Hey, there he is. Hi. <laughs> I'm going to share a spot with you there, Justin. So, what what kind of numbers are we looking at?
5: So the the way that this is set up is if if you you have to make an a, basically an offer to the insurance company to try to settle the case before you're allowed to litigate. If when you make that offer, if if it's if the case is not settled, you go to court. If you don't recover a certain percentage above what that offer was, then that's what dictates whether or not you're allowed to have fees or whether or not the the insurance company gets theirs. And the way the law is set up is if you recover less than 25 percent more than, than what that offer was, then you end up paying the insurance company's attorney's fees. If it's between 25% and 50%, nobody gets attorney's fees. And only if you recover 50% or more above what, what that offer was, do you collect your attorney's fees. So essentially, you have to take the chance that you're going to take a 50% haircut on on, on your bill uh, in order to make a decent offer in order to protect your right to get attorney's fees in the event you end up in litigation.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, hey, let's go over to Peter Crowe. Peter, you you you're an insurance adjuster and uh, formerly in charge, formerly the president of one of their associations. How is the insurance industry looking at this?
6: Okay. <clears throat> well, right now, defense counsel is gearing up to put on all kinds of training programs for the insurance industry. I hadn't seen a lot of it promoted up until just recently, and so. I can tell you that what I think is going to happen is that a lot of uninformed adjusters are going to try to hold the, uh, the contract to $3,000 limit when they go out on a water loss, on a residential loss, which which I don't know where that's going to end up because it doesn't seem to me that the statute provides for what happens if you've got a substantial uh, uh, mitigation process.
1: Yeah, $3,000 so. doesn't sound like a whole lot in many cases, huh?
6: In, in most cases, it's not going to be appropriate. So I don't know who wrote this law, but whoever did write this law is not really familiar with the insurance industry, does not have the consumer's interest at, at heart. Um, and uh, so it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think there's going to be a lot of litigation over this statute. Now, understand that, you know, you've got two lawyers on the broadcast. Most claims are not litigated. And that's the space that I live in. Maybe 80, as much as 80% of all claims are settled prior to litigation or pri- pri- prior to even the suit being filed. So it's worthwhile to have the litigators present and to talk about what happens when the claim goes wrong. But uh, most of the claims are going to be handled. And, and my advice to the restoration industry is get to know your adjusters. It's so much better to be working on a claim with an adjuster you know And how do you get to know adjusters? You've got to work with the industry. You've got to attend the industry meetings and be a presence. That's what all the big boys do. All the big restoration contractors spend a lot of time and treasure involved in the insurance claims industry associations Hmm. for that reason. How many associations are there, Peter? Hundreds. you, you, You Google anywhere. I don't care if you're in Yellowknife, Saskatchewan. You Google the Yellow Knife Claims Association, you'll find maybe two or three guys that get together every month to have some brewski's and talk about the business. And that's where a contractor wants to be. Okay. Thank you, Peter. And let's go
1: over to John Lapote. John, you were you were there to give kind of the IEP, the indoor environmental professional perspective. Uh, you got you got the hairs on a couple of people's neck going up a little bit there as, uh, as as part of your perspective. I thought it was very interesting; made it a lot of fun. Give us your thoughts on how things went last night, and what were some of the key takeaways you uh, you came out with.
7: Well, you know, I, I'm with, with Peter. I, I I don't see any cases that I'm involved with going to court unless I'm hired after the fact. I think the key to success in the restoration business has nothing to do with an AOB or an attorney. It has everything to do with having a good contract up front, knowing who your customer is, and continually communicating with your customer. That's why everybody that we work with never uses an AOB. I think the change in the AOB will impact this legitimate industry, none at all. I don't think it will impact any of us. If we continue to do business with a solid contract, communicating with our customer and helping them communicate with the insurance company, there will not be any problems. If you document your your loss and your work and you present that information appropriately to the insurance company, you will get paid. That's what I wanted to communicate last night. I see the dark side of the AOB. I see the cost to restore going through the roof with every AOB litigation case I've been in. I see the time to restore go up with every AOB litigation case that I've been in. So I wanted to communicate to the people that came to the town hall to let them know that you don't have to have an AOB to be successful. The loss of the AOB doesn't mean the loss of any of your business. It doesn't mean the loss of any of your income. Just know your customer. I'll read you what I read last night for those that weren't there know your client, set the expectations up front, communicate often with your client, document everything, follow the industry standards and be ethical. That's what I tell everybody that I work with. That's that's how you get paid.
0: Let's go
1: go back to Harvey for a moment. I I, I know Harvey that you you may not necessarily agree with everything John's saying, but I think we're on the same page to some degree. I know David talked a lot about contracts and David, you your group develops contracts for Restoration contractors in Florida—they're specific to Florida. I remember you saying it was a one-page thing, but that you could also customize that to be uh, more than one page. Obviously, um, Harvey, give us give us the side you see a little bit. Um, you you seemed last night. You you brought up some some I don't know how to term it. Some some insurance um, sins, I guess.
3: I guess John brought up some. Uh you know, some bad actors using the AOB. And I just wanted to point out that the worst actors in the whole industry are the insurance companies and how they treat homeowners. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. I've represented literally thousands of cases for uh, first party claims and homeowners claims. And I've seen the most, you know, egregious acts I've ever seen from an insurance company that will literally put somebody uh, not give him any money, stall him out forever. You know, uh, I, I have one going on right now where there's an older gentleman in the panhandle who's living on his living room couch because he doesn't have anywhere to go. The insurance company is refusing to pay him additional living expenses so he can move out while their repairs are being done and they're actually not paying for any repairs either. So he has nowhere to go and he ha- he's living in a house that that's, you know, full of mold and and leaking uh from the roof and that's just one example of uh of the insurance industry as a whole so that that that's one of the things i brought up but really I, you know really we should talk more about the future what we can do the aob the new aob law in florida how bad it is um and uh and, and a new method or a new strategy of doing what's you know what's right, and I agree with John. The whole point of, of doing all this stuff is do a good job, be ethical, make your clients happy, and you know and and everything else should fall into place. Okay, let's uh,
4: Pete. Hey, uh, to- hey,
1: Joe, jump back in here, Pete.
2: Yeah, I want to I want to jump in for a minute. Uh, got the camera on me. So, look, yep. there's something to leave Har- make sure Harvey's uh, not muted there, John Faith. Um, one of the things that Harvey passed out yesterday in his hand out in his packet, and I think he's been passing this out as he's been traveling around doing some of these meet and greets around the state, is a copy of the law. This is a 16-page document. Looks like it's printed on two sides. And it is the actual Florida House of Representatives law. That affects this whole conversation, Harvey. Is this something that we would be able to uh, um, in the PDF version? Can can we upload this as part of the blog with the show? Is it are we, we able sure to can? This? Yeah, of course. I was and, gonna say you know, e- either that or or we we'd send a link. But if I if I can get a, a PDF from this from Devin or something, Joe, I, I'd like the number one. Uh, I w- I'll I have this as a PDF attachment for our blog, you know, we've done this in the past and then that way any of the viewers or people can go in there and then, well, John, looks like John's already put a link up, but anyway, the PDF will be good because they can open it and that way they can download the PDF. That's the first thing. The second thing is on David Popper's stuff, David and um, uh, and Justin prepared this three page document, which followed all their key talking points yesterday and it was a handout, so a lot of the attendees in the town hall were able to follow it. And, and he wrote it in the basic style that the lawyer learned to write a brief or a motion if they want a judge to review it. And there's four basic principles. Um, my restoration lawyer buddy, Mr. Ed Cross, taught me this years ago. They, they call it IRAC, I-R-A-C. You uh, first establish the issue, then you talk about the rule of law, you do an analysis, a conclusion. And basically what they did is they raised the question, okay, I mean, the aob you know the fee shifting is dead essentially that's the question that's the issue then he talked about the statutes which is equivalent to the rule of law then he did an analysis asking the contractor questions what if you do this what if you don't do that some of the things have been discussed and then put the conclusion with the recommendations this is a very very useful document and i think that if uh, we we'll, we'll, if we do this in a, which i have in a pdf i'd like i'd like to send those out and then i think people get a lot of benefit from those so that that was a key point I wanted to make here, but
3: I'll turn it back to you Joe okay let me let
1: me go over to David um, David uh, you I believe it was you last night I don't have my notes in front of you but I think you you brought up three key points for every contractor to try and avoid you know not getting paid doing the job properly I know the first one was to to communicate and you said at least weekly um, you know I have a little construction company up here and i I actually communicate with our clients daily. At the end of every day, we give them a little rundown of what we did and and what kind of progress we made. Um, There were a couple other points. I wonder if you could go over that for listeners.
4: You know, we're, we're all in business. That's the thing that's interesting. We all have, you know, I sell legal services, you sell different contracting services. But the thing I learned a long time ago is that when somebody's in a lawsuit it's the first thing they wake up and think about. It's the last thing they think about. It's what they think about all day, and they hang on every word the lawyer says. Well, you know, it's the same thing when when your house is a mess, you you you're waiting with bated breath for that contractor. What's going to happen? How's it going to? What's going? And the contractors are very busy, and they think I'll call them later. But it's almost like think back think back to high school when you're waiting for that special someone to call you. It seems like eternity. It may not be, but but. If you put yourself in that position and you communicate often with the client so you have a relationship, and that's what we do. I mean, I've been doing this for 39 years, and there's not a time I'm in the car that I'm not calling an old client or friend, keeping up with them. And there's not a time that we don't uh, keep up with clients every single day. Why? Because they're worried about it. What What is easy for me is hard for them. Just like I would – I'd be dangerous with a hammer and a nail. I'd, I'd be – waiting for what you guys say. So so that's the big thing. But the contract itself is is very important. Um, uh, a few a few of the critical points are we want to make sure that when you file a suit, it's got to be in the county where you know your lawyer and you know where the courthouse is. So we put in a venue provision. That way you litigate where you are. It's important to have a lawyer in your county that knows you, likes you and wants to win for you. Because just like everybody else, we're human too, and we, we tend to want to help people that we want to help. Um, the second thing is, is that we, uh, in the cancellation, we put in, in our contract language regarding cancellation fee. I've been in front of a couple of judges, and they say, Are you, you mean to tell me just because you canceled, you owe 20%? That just doesn't seem fair. So what we do in our contracts is we is we tell people what we're doing for that 20%. Uh, we, we say, oh, let me read a little bit. Uh, we do significant work before actual construction begins. This includes mitigation services, inspection, measurement, research, and order materials, creating documents. When you have that in the contract and the judges get to read it, they're more understanding of what the cancellation is. In other words, I try to keep things so simple and so self-apparent self-evident that, that there is no question um, in terms of pricing we make sure that the pricing can change if we find something I can' I can't tell you how many roofers tell me they price a roof for say fifteen thousand dollars and they find there's five thousand dollars worth of wet wood well you've got to you've got to have that in the contract in other words as long as you tell people up front uh, most of the time you're not going to have that difficulty um, and that's that's why what we've tried to do in our one-page contract is is spell out most of what can go wrong and have it clear. And when you put it clear, and when you don't use legalese language, when it's language that even I, I always say this funny, I said it's language that even a judge will understand. And I, I don't mean that I don't mean that disrespectfully, but there's a lot of judges that were criminal lawyers. They don't know this stuff. So right. They, assume just because a judge he knows contract law that's not necessarily so so we dumb it down to where where everybody can read it and and i think that that's the most important thing and and I, I agree with harvey i mean it's a i mean it's a different day and there's gonna be some insurance carriers that try to abuse this and put you in a position where you're taking a 50% haircut and 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 some outcomes won't be that great but I can tell you one thing: that if an insurance company does it too often, we do have a bad faith statute, and and um, and I've litigated bad faith cases. I know Harvey has, and and um, you know the, the, there things come around, and if things get if things get too abused, abusive, courts will solve the problem. We don't know a lot of what the courts are going to do yet, but things have a way of washing themselves out. But it does take. It may take six months or a year for that to happen, maybe a little longer.
1: You know, David, you mentioned that cancellation uh, fee and, and spelling out why you won. I, I thought that was probably the the most important point I picked up all night. Uh, and, and I'm sure a lot of the contractors there felt the same way, you know, that we've got to, you know, in Pennsylvania, you have three days to cancel. I don't know what it is in Florida, the the you know, the, the
5: home you, actually have, uh, you actually have three days if it's a home solicitation sale.
1: Okay, okay, but these are not necess- these are not home solicitation sales. These are emergencies, and and there was also discussion, in, and I don't know who uh, brought this up last night about the uh, the definition of it wasn't an emergency, but but the definition of, um, yeah, of urgent performance. Yeah, substantial urgent. Yeah, urgency. urgent. Yeah, what uh, can someone jump in on that? I don't know if it, maybe Peter would. Would you tell us a little bit? What
6: is urgency when it comes to these contracts? Okay, can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Okay. Who knows? I mean, that is such a nebulous term. It could mean a lot of different things to different people. I think Harvey brought that up yesterday. What does urgent mean? And so it's it's dangerous language, and it's just going to mean we're going to litigate. We're going to. But,
4: but you, know. you know something, you know something. If you if somebody calls you, so it's not a home solicitation, you ought to be sending an email. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your interest in us. Why? It sounds like a nice email, but it proves it's not a solicitation. If someone calls you urgent urgently, um, you may want to respond with an email. Thank you for your urgent call. I understand that that, that you're. Really want this done now. In other words, protect yourself. It, it, it's going to be ambiguous. Clarify it as much as you can up front. That's, you
7: know, I, that's
4: I think a great one point. Of things,
7: right, yeah, one of the things that should be pointed out, is, it's, these are changes to the AOB, not changes to how we do business on a daily basis with a regular contract. So this isn't this is an, uh, an across-the-board hit to all contractors. This is a change to the AOB should we continue to use the AOB
1: is Is this a change harvey to a o b for just the restoration industry, or was there also uh, a o b for like david mentioned roofers et cetera
3: well, it's for any contractors and i'm um, you know what's funny about that is they actually uh included windshield companies because it's still property damage that's covered and the same kind of you know they they run into the same kind of problems uh but they actually did a carve-out just for the windshield companies. And uh, so it, it applies to anyone who does uh, residential or commercial, any kind of construction from A to Z. So it doesn't matter what it has to do with. If, if it's, uh, 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 you know, real property and it in- involves an insurance claim, then if you intend to use an assignment, you have to abide by that new law. If you don't, your whole contract is void and unenforceable.
1: Okay. Gentlemen, I've got to stop here and thank our sponsors for halftime. When we come back, Pete, I want to turn it over to you to start the second half.
0: Okay, good enough, Joe. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's j-o-n-d-o-n.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at Particles Plus. Dot com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. Siri Cleaning
1: Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at SiriScience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. And before we turn it back to, to the uh, restoration industry's global watchdog, I just want to mention the Siri conferences next week at Miami University of Ohio, and uh, hopefully we'll see a bunch of listeners there. Pete, let's get over to you. I'd like to get you to uh, weigh in and, and kind of start this second half.
2: Okay. Thanks, Joe. Uh, one of the things is I guess the second half when we prepare some questions, we want to get into the red meat. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that our uh, Insta chat log doesn't start blowing up over here. We got the 20, 25 listeners. A couple things I want to say. Is one of the things that we did with the town hall that I found out is I asked But I I asked when I opened the town hall at six o'clock, does anyone ever been to a town hall know what a town hall was? And I I don't, I think I got one hand in the whole audience. So I explained a little bit about the history of a town hall, what it was about. I'm not going to get into all that now, but essentially, you know, dates back to the founding of the country, but uh, it's used mostly today in the political arena and, you know, we're in that season. But, you know, the association's been doing town halls for years. A lot of the big national networks have them annually. Um, so one of the things that we had to do, since it's a hot topic, is we basically uh, prepared an antitrust statement um, with some general guidelines and rules, and everyone had to sign one before they came in, and then I reviewed it. And that was really, really important. Anyone that belongs to the association and goes to any of these certification courses and schools, there's all kinds of things like that which are, you know, apply, but people are not used to having to sign in them. We felt it was important. We wanted people to be real clear what the rules they came in. And basically everybody, um, you know, uh, I think, handled that well. You'll also see we have quite a few, we had a lot of handwritten questions, a whole bunch of them. One of the things that I'm gonna do with uh, one, of the, one of the ladies in Harvey's firm, um, we're gonna uh, scan those in and she's gonna transcribe them. And one of the important things is we kinda of know what's on the mind and the types of questions that were being asked. There was a wide variety of questions a little bit of overlap so anyway just to give you a little bit of insight into that so now we're going to continue to go around the horn in this order harvey you'll be up first uh john faith make sure you've got all these guys off you so so we're going to be harvey up first then we're going to have david uh mr crosa and then lap um so harvey uh here's my question for you i want you to tell the listeners uh And what kind of options do you, do you feel at the town audience, the town hall audience last night, you know, talk about some of the protocols, some of the recommendations that you gave out from your perspective, um, in dealing, you know, in this, uh, the post AOB era, really, it's kind of the, the absence of the fee shifting statute. And, um, anyway, don't take as long as you did last night, Harvey, but give us the cliff note version. Go ahead and share that because some of those keep talking points I'll, I'll put in the blog. So Harvey, you're
3: up. Okay. So uh, basically the the fee shifting statute still, uh, you know, is in full effect uh, for homeowners. So basically a a better way or a new way of doing this, you know, that uh, you don't need to comply with that new AOB law. You just don't use an AOB. And then what happens is you need to work with a public adjuster or an attorney that will help you Uh, get paid, but the attorney represents the the, um, homeowner directly. So uh, essentially, we would put together the entire claim, write up the reports, make a demand on the insurance policy, and if the insurance company doesn't pay, then the fee shifting statute comes into effect. So it doesn't come into effect in any kind of settlement negotiations. And that's why we would charge a percentage just like public adjusters do. But what would happen with us is if it gets into litigation, whatever attorney's fees we recover from the insurance company uh, goes back to credit the homeowner. So there will be many, many uh, circumstances where the homeowner doesn't pay us a penny. We get all of our money from the insurance company.
1: Harvey, let me get a follow-up in on that. I, I I remember hearing that last night, and I was wondering, are you suggesting that a restoration contractor do this on every job or just certain ones where they maybe know that the company they're working with has a history of uh, maybe being a little difficult in uh, paying the full bill? Or, or Are you thinking this should be done on every job?
3: Well, I mean, <clears throat> we'd be happy to involve, be involved in every job or, or talk to – people to give them advice. You know, every job isn't going to really work out for us. Um, You know, the smaller jobs, I told people, just see if you can do a a cash job and, you know, they can put it on their credit card. If they submit their bill to the insurance company, the insurance company should reimburse the homeowner 100% minus their deductible. And if they don't do that, then we can help the homeowner so they don't have to bring us in up front. We can help them later. Uh, But... You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I can tell you that even when people, you know, use the AOB, insurance companies tend to, uh, you know, short pay, underpay, slow pay, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, constantly. And that was with an AOB. So you can imagine you have absolutely no power with the insurance company without an AOB. I told people too hey, uh, i like they can...
2: Hey, Harvey, uh, Joe, let me take it back here for a minute. Ahead, one of the que- yeah, one of the questions that came up here in the chat is want to know what the attorneys, the typical fees are. We're not going to talk about that publicly because basically it, it'll it violate price fixing and get into the into the uh, into the violation of the antitrust. But the comment that I want to make is, is that and, and this kind of lends to some of the stuff that John Lappertier talked about is contractors that, um, let's say they were using the AOB, not using the AOB, but if they, were, if they were familiar and it was part of their protocol to work with attorneys, work with public adjusters, they'll probably continue to do that. That was their business model. The ones that weren't, um, let's say they were using the AOB because they felt they need to use it to get paid in Florida, and there were many who were who may or may not work with an attorney or, or, or a public adjuster. Now they're gonna work with people like, like Popper and, 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 uh, and Justin, and, um, you know, guys like that have been working with Ed Cross and many other attorneys around the country that to get the proper contacts, make sure they comply with the local statutes. OK, so I think that's going to still is still going to continue to happen. And the fees that public justice charge or attorneys charge they, they are what they are and they vary. So, I mean, we don't need to talk specifically, but just there is a fee. I think the key point that Arvey made was is since the fee shifting statute still applies for homeowners, not in the contractor's case, um, there may be cases where they can actually collect the fees, and the homeowner doesn't pay anything. And that's yeah. just depending on the loss and what the situation was. I mean, isn't that the main point you're trying to make, there, Harvey, in that that regard? Um, we can do that price right? for them. I mean, it's a
3: couple of that we
2: Yeah, who's that? Who's talking in the background there? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That
3: that 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 um, that that's me yeah so I mean anyway Harvey,
2: i I, I think if you're to you hear it the last thing I said was I think that was the point that you were trying to make is that in some cases the a o the use of the aOB and the fee shifting statute will continue, but only working directly with a homeowner and in many cases, if the funds are collected then they they won't cost them anything if not, it's right. no, a no. negotiation is a negotiation correct no,
3: no I think uh, uh basically, if you use the a o b you're putting yourself in jeopardy. So, I'm not talking I'm not about contractors,
2: people. Harvey. I'm talking
3: about the homeowners. Yeah, well, the homeowners don't need an AOB.
2: Oh, they don't need. Okay, then that's then it's a moot point. Then that's fine. But the fee shifting okay. statute still applies.
3: Yeah, definitely.
7: Yeah. Right. Okay. I I got that. I got that. Okay. okay. Um.
2: All right. Thanks. Thank you, uh, Harvey. Joe, I'll get to move on to the next question.
1: Sure. Um. Well,
2: okay.
1: let's go over oh, to go David. Ahead. Um. You had asked everyone no, to come. Crack- Go ahead.
2: I was, going to move to, I was going to move to David now. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, David. So listen, uh, you and Justin, you know, obviously weighed in last night. You created this uh, nice document, which we'll, we'll share with the listeners as part of the blog. Um, why don't you kind of address and talk about what the key talking points were that you gave last night? Um, you know, some of them you talked about in the first part of the show. But why don't you finish weighing in? Uh, dovetailing off of Harvey and you know, talking to the contractors out there and even uh, we've got quite a few even on the line they have quite a few uh, assessor types and certainly the people who uh, follow the blog and who download the podcast there will be a pretty good mix between both remediators and assessors so why don't you, why don't you give them some, uh, some pointers and advice of where you think it's going to
3: go
4: I, I think it's going to be like you know you, there's a point where you just can't make this stuff up what kind of issues will come up You'll be, we'll be surprised um, to a large extent. Uh, Courts though, I can tell you courts tend to read into statutes most of the time, something that's fair, even if it isn't in the statute. And so I I think there'll be, I I think it'll be bloody for a while. I think there'll be a lot of decisions and we really don't know where they're going to go. So again, you know, you can't, I'm a firm believer in controlling what I can control. And what I can control is my communication. What I can control is my integrity. What I can control is the client relationships. And what I can control is doing things right. And and what I can control is a tight contract that that is easy to understand for both the homeowner, you, and a court if needed. And, and again, you can't worry about what you can't control. Uh, Just stick to your knitting. You know, stick to your knitting like you've done. And I think that's the best thing you can possibly do. I, I wish there was more to it than that, but there really isn't. That's well said. Pete?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> and then
2: we, we can t- I can tell your age is a baby boomer now because when you use that expression, stick to your nitty, that's <laughs> something that uh, Tom Peters years ago used in uh, the Pursuit of Excellence yeah. And Jim Collins and all his good to great work talked about that. That a lot of these companies they stick to what they're good at. So anyway, that, 35, that was good advice. Yeah, thirty
4: five in my mind.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. All right, uh, Mister Croson there. You still got that cigar in your mouth there, buddy? Uh, you, I tell you, you look really uh very. You look like you're in a tropical paradise. Well, you do live in St. Pete by the beach, and you got that got that that little sunshade hat on there. <laughs> Listen, Peter. Um, I think you really did a very good job last night. You were a real honest broker on a lot of the comments uh, that you weighed in on. And, um, you know, one of the things that you said, and and it's something that really reacted to me, and I've heard you say it before, but a lot of people in the room probably haven't. You talked about that the insurance industry has bad actors, too. And and some of those bad actors in the past have probably maybe been your clients. And you don't necessarily like working with them, either. So I mean there's bad there's bad actors on both sides of the of the case. Why don't you talk a little bit and give some advice to the listeners on you know, what, what advice do you have as an independent adjuster how they should deal if they get into a situation with an insurance company that has a policy they can't live with? Um you know, what 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 kind of advice do you have for for the contractors and even an assessor if they're involved in some way?
6: Okay, well, When I heard we were going to be on video, I had to get the hat and the cigar for visual (laughs) effect and emphasis. So I hope you appreciate it. Um, Let me say this. Uh, I I think that if you get into a situation where the adjuster is not playing ball with you and you sense any hostility, (coughs) that uh, getting your money is going to be a difficult time, then that's when you have to draw back on all the advice that you got from your your lawyers on how to secure a job how to secure funding and payment and how to get out of there with with uh, alive basically because a a a bad player an adjuster can do you a lot of harm a lot of passive aggression and they are experts at passive aggression and just flip you up when 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 things are the toughest. So you just better beware. My advice is avoid those companies. Somebody wrote to me and said, uh, we've 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 got some homeowners who are insured with a company that places very bad restrictions on them and doesn't let them choose a contractor. And then when we finish the job, we have a hard time getting paid. And my advice was, don't work for anybody who's insured with that insurance company. Just avoid them completely. Don't try to battle with them. Because, imagine if you're uh, uh, David said, "We're all in business." Yes, we're in business. If every case I had, I had to sue somebody to get paid, that's not a business worth being in. To be honest. Amen to that. Yeah.
2: Thanks, Peter. All right, John. We're gonna we're gonna move over to you now. And uh, (laughs) I might I might be repeating the obvious here. But it seems there was a little tension last night between you and Harvey. You guys had a different viewpoint on uh on the A.O.B. and whatnot. I, I my personal opinion was that it probably was a little bit was a misunderstanding. I mean, look, you and Harvey both live in Orlando. You go back, you've known each other for a long time, you've you know, been on different cases together, sometimes on the same side, maybe sometimes on a different side. And um I guess what I want to give you a chance to comment on is did do you think that Either Harvey or the audience misunderstood some of your comments last night and what what is it that you really were trying to say and, and that you wanna say? Uh, you know, where are your viewpoints differ on this A O B, you know, it, now's a chance to, to kinda of set the record straight on that. So uh Mr Lap L A P O That's how they pronounce his name. He he always does it phonetically. Lap O tear. Anyway, John, why don't you go ahead and weigh in and, and, and comment on that?
7: All right, so look at uh, my opinion is very firm on on AOB and always has been. And this is very specific to Florida. AOB has been around forever. Um, Cliff and I talk about this often, and I'm not saying the AOB is bad. There's a time and a need for AOB. However, in the state of Florida, the AOB has been abused to the point of the litigation that just uh, was introduced, uh, uh, the House bill. For it to get to that degree, It had to have been abused in a way that nobody's ever seen before, and that's what happened. The use of the AOB led to the increase in time and cost to restore, and then it was litigated with one-way attorney's fees. It was promoted and abused, and now it's changed, and we're going to have to figure out how the rest of us were able to do business successfully without extending the time and cost to restore and using an AOB. There's no magic in it. It's like David said. You just use a good contract, remember who your client is, and communicate with your client. I, I tell the people that we work with and the people that we train, we're consultants. An assessor is a consultant, and I consult on behalf of my client, the property owner, <clears throat> in setting the, the, uh, uh, the protocol and establishing everything that's going to happen and walking the homeowner, the restoration contractor, and the adjuster through it until we reach completion. We run into a change.
3: We have an addendum.
7: We write up the addendum. We photo document the addendum. We uh, present the addendum to the homeowner, and then we present the addendum to the adjuster.
6: We've never
7: had a problem in all the years that I've been doing business with all of the contractors that we work with and all of the contractors and assessors that we train in getting paid. There are times, the insurance company can be very difficult, but I can assure you your odds of getting paid skyrocket when you actually have a drying log, when you actually have documented your loss. I agree that there are some bad insurance companies. I'm not saying that. I agree that there's a need for the AOB. But I don't think anybody in their right mind, looking at the state and the condition of Florida, can try and justify the, the AOB abuse that was going on. I've, I'm involved in a lot of litigation with the AOB, no drying logs, unbelievably overpriced work, whether it's the assessment side or the restoration side. Some people use the AOB in, in a time of need. Some people use the AOB on every single case, day 31, we're litigating and we're shooting to get paid for every damn thing. We put every line item that we've added, and it's really shed a bad light on the entire industry. It was Hor- horrific for the entire industry to be painted with the same brush as uh, as the bad actors. Now, definitely not all attorneys that are using AOB are doing this, but it has led to bad restoration contractors, bad assessors, using bad practices to overcharge and hold people hostage with the AOB. There are still people that are not whole from hurricanes from uh, a couple of years ago because of AOB and litigation right next to condominium buildings that were fully restored and are fully reoccupied without an AOB. So uh, for me, I don't think anything changes. I wanted to make it very clear in the town hall and today that this should not negatively impact, it should not in any way any restoration contractor in the state of Florida. The amount of cases that should go to litigation is should be very small. By and large, like Peter said, the vast majority will be settled and paid. There will be some working back and forth but if you set the expectations up front you maintain the communications with the homeowner the property owner and the adjuster you will not have a problem yeah business will be as usual okay
2: so uh, john so john uh, harvey stand by You'll get a chance to respond don't don't say anything yet <laughs> uh look one the, i got was uh, two follow-up deals one follow-up a question came up peter w- right after uh, peter Crossa was talking When you basically said the advice, if you got a bad insurance company and uh, you know their policies are something that you can't work with from the contractor's perspective, um, you shouldn't work with those guys. Okay. Right. But
0: what about a homeowner?
2: What 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 advice do you have for the homeowner if they have a bad insurance company? I don't know. I might know the answer to this, but anyway, somebody put that up in the chat. I guess that's that's a good question. The contractor can say no, but the homeowner has a claim. How is that handled? And how would what position would that put you in as it, an
4: adjuster? Uh, this is exactly where you get Harvey. Harvey will represent the homeowners. That's exactly okay. what—that's exactly what he does.
2: Hmm. Yeah. that—that uh, well, I, that I already knew, David. But I was wondering, from cross's standpoint, as an independent adjuster, let's say he's assigned. You know, how would he handle it? And what would what would you as an insurance adjuster tell the homeowner? That's what I was actually
3: looking for.
6: Well, <coughs> I have a lot of family members who ask me who's a good company to get insured with on their home or, or building. And in Florida, it's not a buyer's market. I mean, it, you you really are hard pressed to find a good company. There are some down here. Uh, there, there are some excellent insurance companies that write high-end properties and they bend over backwards to satisfy the policyholder really but most property owners in Florida are unfortunately insured with the available companies who are really substandard and it is a non-service policy and it's tough so but i so i tell my family members well try and go with so and so try and get with this company and and they don't do it because people are very premium conscious and that's their first focus. Well, I'm, you know, I've got a cheap rate and so, but they don't know what's going to happen when they end up with a real claim.
2: Yeah. Well, what I was going to suggest before we go to roundup is, uh, if Harvey's got any comments on John and then I figured we'd move to the roundup.
3: Okay. Harvey. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have anything to say. John has his own opinion and I obviously I disagree with it. 100%. He does a lot of work for insurance companies. So, he has that ideology. You know, I don't work for any insurance companies, and I never would. And I have a different ideology. So that's it. Yeah.
7: So listen, I, so, well, I, have, I have to clear this up. That's not true at all. I don't work for insurance companies. I work for property owners. Uh, that's a misconception. No, you,
3: are you hired by insurance companies, John? John, are you On hired rare, by insurance companies? On rare
7: occasion, the litigation I'm involved with, I'm representing property owners or HOAs that are tied up in litigation over AOBs, and, and and that's who I represent. I do not work or receive money from insurance companies. I work for property owners. That's, that's, that needs to be very clear. It's the property owner that is is in need of help and being held hostage by the AOB. I'm not a, a henchman for the insurance companies. I don't want anybody to be led to believe that. My client will and always will be property owners. And when I go to litigation for property owners, it's to represent the best interest of the property owner and not an insurance company. Yeah. Hey,
2: Joe, it looks like we've already entered the roundup. We're in the corral. So look, <laughs> before we before we go to the roundup, let me just say this. The whole point of a town hall is that you have multiple viewpoints on a topic. All right? It's obvious that we knew ahead of time that Harvey – and uh, John have different viewpoints. That's okay. All right. We know David had a different angle on a lawyer, on from a lawyer's perspective, than Harvey did. They agree on some things, other things. Not that they don't agree. It's just one is dealing with contractor law, the other one is dealing with the, you know suing insurance companies. And then of course said you know, he weighed in with his perspective, and I think it was a very honest broker of all the years of experience. And look. That we didn't announce this uh, Joe, Joe in his intro, but, but Peter wrote a book called uh, "How to Soft Sell Hardened Insurance Adjusters years ago. It's what kind of it was his original foray into the restoration industry. He's well known. He puts on workshops for restorers uh, and uh, travels around the country. And, you know, it's part of his business, his main business is obviously being an insurance adjuster, and he tries to help contractors uh, in that regard and you know and I, I think he's fairly been fairly well received. So anyway, that's the whole point of doing this is if you get a whole bunch of people who agree on something then then there's no debate so let people have their say and then at the end of the day if you if you'd be an honest broker to provide all the input from the different sides then let the people in the audience the customers whoever they are let them gather that data and let them make a sound decision based on the education the information had. and that, that's essentially what we tried to do it's a, hot, it's a contentious topic we get it but anyway um, we did the best we could. And the people that were there last night, 50, 60 of them, I think a uh, c- couple of the guys said, I-, I think it was well received and I think they enjoyed the information, the networking and anyway. So at that point, I'll turn it back to you, Joe, to go into
1: the roundup, sir. All right. Thank you, Pete. I think that was well said. Let's uh, Let's go once around the horn. Go ahead, John. Let's get some final thoughts. I just want to go around the horn and uh, maybe, maybe each of you can kind of uh, give us your thoughts on where this is all headed down the road. I think uh, David brought up a good point. There's still a lot to be litigated here. We're not sure which way the courts are going to go, but maybe you could give us, um, you know, your, your best uh, prediction for, for where this will head, not just in Florida, but I think what's really important for a lot of our listeners is how is this going to affect the rest of the country? Uh, let's, let's start with David, and then uh, we'll, we'll move on to uh, Peter and John and finish up with Harvey.
4: Uh, most judges, I've done this a while, most judges try to reach what they consider a fair decision. They'll sometimes even bend the statutes to get a fair resolution. There's some that won't. There, there's some that are very strict constructionists, and the law is the law. But most most time they try to solve it. So again, the most important thing I can tell you is, let me tell you, I, I used to have a defense firm and I used to represent uh, some big companies like Ford and General Motors with a firm called Rumberger. And we'd always wanna get, get an expert witness for something, whatever the issue was, and the company would balk. And I'd say, well, pretend we're in trial and tomorrow we need that expert desperately. Would you write that check? He said, yes. I said, well, then write that check today. The analogy here is set up your paperwork and set up your communications as if it would go to court. So you have your ducks in a row and then it won't. I find that every time I'm very, very prepared for a trial, it settles. Why? Because you can tell. You can, you can read the body language. People know it. So have your contracts solid. Have your communication solid. When you call them, follow up with an email. When people say, you haven't talked to me, and you got 25 emails you just went down and a couple text messages and a solid contract, you're going to win that. Uh, Most times when contractors get in trouble, it's because they've not, it's not that they've done a bad job. They've not prepared to show they've done a good job. When I was in the Army, I was an Army JAG uh, years ago. One general said excellence and the perception of evidence, excellence and the appearance of excellence. So you got to do a good job, but you got to document it right. When you do that, you're going to come out fine 99% of the time.
1: Thank you, David. Much appreciated. And uh, Justin, we'll come to you uh, after I go to Peter, just in case you had any final thoughts. Peter?
6: Well, uh, something that came up yesterday in the town hall surprised me and, and that Harvey said, and I actually thought it was quite brilliant uh, the insurance industry has the playing field. They have control of the playing field, seemingly, and they created new rules in this legislation. And so Harvey, I believe Harvey suggested, "Hey, don't take an AOB because basically you're saying we're not going to play by your rules. We're going to play by free market or, or common law." Practices, and I thought that was that was pretty brilliant. My advice to contractors getting involved with restoration is is just try and be work with your adjuster. Try and open up the lines of communication. Don't think he's gonna he's gonna undermine you if you're open and above board, and don't clash with him. I think a good psychological uh, um, strategy with adjusters is to express your concern about certain issues. Hey. I'm concerned that if we do this, we're not meeting standards that have been prescribed by the industry rather than you're an idiot. You're conflicting with the standards that are established in the industry. You'll get a lot farther that way because adjusters can kill you with passive aggression. And basically, I'm addressing the 80 percent of the claims that can be settled without litigation. All right.
1: Thank you, Peter. Let's go to John Lapotere and then we'll go to Justin.
7: I think uh, when I review you know, my experience in the last <laughs> eight to 10 years um, with contractors in the AOB uh, and representing uh, property owners, I think the one constant in the whole thing was the fact that the
4: homeowners
7: all reported feeling like they were dismissed <laughs> from the, the case. They felt that they were literally... Um, in the dark about what was going on. And when they finally started realizing what was happening, it was out of control and it was far more intense than they anticipated. So the advice that you've received from, from the others up to this point is consistent with mine. Know your customer. You're there to restore the property on behalf of the property owner. Stick to that. Communicate with them often, daily, every other day, once a week, you've got to communicate with them. Let them know what you're doing and why. And then communicate that to the adjuster, and you guys will be just fine.
1: Thank you, John. Let's go back to Justin. Justin Peterman, did you have anything you wanted to add before we go?
5: Uh, you know, I'll just quickly add that that the, you know don't don't think that the sky is falling here. It, it's not. There's there's more as the saying goes. There's more than one way to skin a cat, and you know there. The important thing, I think, for contractors to, to realize is you need to get uh, a plan together of what you're going to do, and that starts with getting getting with an attorney, getting with your adjusters, coming up with a plan of how things are going to get done, and especially getting yourself a good contract that, that if you're not going to operate under the, the new AOB law, getting yourself a good direct contract to work with, with uh, the homeowner's and just understand, you know, you're going to have to – this is – it's not that you're going to stop. It's that you have to learn a new way to do the business. And so that, that, that's really what we're talking about here. And and it's it's just a matter of learning some new tricks.
1: Thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. Let's finish up with Harvey Cohen. Harvey, final thoughts.
3: Thank you for well. Hello. Thank hello. you for – for having all of us on. I think it was, uh, it very helpful for everybody probably listening in and, and with the questions on the internet. Um, the, the, the new AOB law in Florida, uh, is terrible. I can't recommend to any of my clients that they would use that. Um, and the way that Florida goes, it seems like the rest of the country goes, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree with what Justin just said. That's not that it's not the end of the world. We just have to look at a, a different method. And you know, my whole motto, probably my whole life, is adapt and overcome. So that's what we'll do here. Thank you for having us.
1: And thank you all for joining us on IAQ Radio Plus today. I tell you, that was a fascinating one. A lot of uh, a lot of comments. A lot of. Uh, I think you know, it's great to have two sides and uh, sometimes three or four different uh, sides on a, on a, on a topic. And uh, I want to also thank uh, Pete Consigli for helping me pull this together. Pete, thanks again. Any final comments from you?
2: No, uh, you know, it's uh look, it's a contentious issue. Of, I, there's been a bunch of us have been saying to watch Florida, you know, several years ago I, I said, I thought Florida was the new wild west. Um, you know, In in the late 80s and all throughout the 90s, it was Southern California that kind of, a lot of things coming out of there is what kind of directed their standards and policies and a lot of the development in the industry. And that was, they were, that was a big target region by the insurance carriers uh, of the day. Now, of course, it's Florida is where the lobby was with the AOB, the fee shifting statute, and et cetera. And, um, I, so I, I think it's true what, what's happening here has national and global impact, because insurance companies and carriers, they talk, they share best practices. Sometimes the lobbies, you know, they want to do test markets or whatever the particular case would be. And I think that, um, I think that uh, the jury's still out. We have to, we have to see what's going to happen. Things will be tested in the court, you know, but at the end of the day, I guess what I'd close with is this, and probably the most important lesson that you know, myself and a lot of others learned over the years from Marty King, You know, who's kind of founding father and uh, founded the restoration division, really of uh, of RAA. He basically always said, he said, look, if if you do three things, he said, do a quality job, um, be ethical in your, you know, in your dealings, but be fair in your dealings. And fair and ethical are two different things. And if you're just an honest broker and you're fair, open, you have good communication, like they've been saying, um, that's not only going to benefit the the uh, insurance company will benefit, the homeowner it will benefit, the contractor, you know, the restoration triangle, the three main parties to a claim, and um, you know. And, and the other thing I think is probably the most critical that uh, he passed on in the, the last handful of articles before he retired several years ago. He felt that the most important aspect for the successful contractors is the ones that understood how to deliver the jobs on time, on budget, and satisfy customers. In other words, they were good project managers and they're just good risk managers. Said so oftentimes the industry they put a lot of effort in getting all the latest technology and gadgets and some of the really good marketers said those are important things in the business but said neither one alone it together will assure the success of a, of a good restoration contractor. He said you have to basically um, uh, be fair with people, be honest, do good work, and you have to be a good project manager and know how to deliver those projects so you can make a profit, you can compete in the marketplace, and essentially satisfy your customers and you know we we have multiple customers in this business although the primary one is the one who signs a contract which should be the homeowner and um anyway I, I guess that's that's what i that's what i would close
1: all so, right well, thanks uh pete for helping with co-hosting duties this week uh cliff will be back with us next week i also want to thank this week's guests harvey cohen peter crosa john lapater david popper and justin peterson uh, this is Radio Joe Hughes. Also, want to bring in, um, thank the John. You got to have faith that the controls, most importantly, are a growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be back next Friday for the next episode
0: of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed, saying thanks for listening.